Face Ahead Podcast. My name is Tyler Publitz, and welcome back to the 25th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of November 14th, 2021. And I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast. And I'm excited because this is the last Sunday that we have a gospel out of Mark for a very long time. Next week being Christ the King Sunday, and we're going into the book of John for that. And then we're suddenly in Advent, the beginning of the new church year, and we're then starting the year of Luke. So a lot going on, a lot to consider, and it's a little bit easier this week for me because there's only six readings to deal with, and this is the last week that we have semi-continuous readings of the Old Testament. So then it really kind of shortens down. It's kind of amazing to think about here we are at this point again and moving forward and what is that going to look like. And I know for me, there's been a lot of change this last week. We actually had some decent snowfall, enough where it's actually sticking around. So we're getting that changing of the seasons. You're starting to feel the change in the year. We have here in the States Thanksgiving coming up just around the corner. And so that whole changing of the seasons, changing of the guard is in order. And it's just kind of a fun time of year to start thinking about and start looking at different things. But it leads really well into the Twitter question we had last week is, what have we overlooked? What are things that we have overlooked? And one of the responses back we got this last week is how often we overlook the quiet people, the people who aren't as boisterous or really loud or really out there that it's really easy to overlook them and I would say that's definitely the case I think there's also a lot of other things environmentally that we potentially overlook there's a lot of relationships that we've thought about now probably over the last 20 months or so how they're really valuable and how we've overlooked them, overlooked the amount that we are dependent upon each other. If you think about over the last 20 months, especially during quarantine and different things, how so many more things were difficult because you're dependent on other people in some small way, whether it's the checkout person at the grocery store or just the mechanic being able to work on your car or something along those lines, there's a lot of things that we typically overlook And I think this year right now, and as we're continuing through this pandemic and trying to see our way through it, it's the dependence that we still have on each other and a lot of questions that are being brought up on how do we balance those types of things. So let's just jump into it this week. The semi-continuous Old Testament text doesn't feel semi-continuous this week. It's out of 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 to 20. And I'll give you a preview already. The psalm that goes with that is also out of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. This is the story of Hannah. She is the mother of Samuel, who becomes one of these great prophets. And this is a really interesting story on how she's married She has having trouble having children, and her husband isn't really providing the support that you would hope, is wondering why is she so sad, even though he's trying to support her kind of poorly. And so she's devastated and just reaches out to God and goes to the temple. And then she kind of gets insulted yet again by the priest, Eli, that he isn't even realizing that this woman is pouring out her heart to God. He thinks she's drunk. And in a conversation, then he starts to understand that this woman is really trying to pour out her heart. And Eli says in verse 17, Go in peace, the God of Israel grant the petition that you have made him. 
And right at here at the end, we get that she does conceive and bear a son of Samuel, which she had asked the Lord for, which then ties for the psalm or the second text that you really should continue is Hannah's song. It's almost the psalm-like scene. It's one of these unofficial psalms that we kind of talk about. And it's that Hannah then is in a prayer, in celebration, crying out to God on how great and how amazing God is and that God does hear the ones that are bowed down, who are broken, and works with to be able to bring them up, but also humbling those who are in mighty positions and making sure that they also aren't just living up on a high point. But Here she, especially like verse 7, the Lord makes the poor and makes the rich. He makes the low and he also exalts. And then gets into this image of raising up the poor from the dust. And that this is something then that we should continue to give homage to the power of what God can do. The other Old Testament text that's alternative for this week is out of Daniel chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. This is kind of a interesting text. One, it's kind of almost a little bit of apocalyptic, talking about the archangel of Michael. But it's also probably the last written down book of the Old Testament. And so it kind of gives a, because there's going to be more conflict here coming up, this is kind of an interesting text to kind of be going in here. And how it's a text discussing how when the time where heaven comes to earth, that there'll be a rising and awakening of kind of the saints, kind of almost tying back to last week of all saints, and that you're going to have some who go off and are leading and is continuing the righteousness of God, and then there's others who will be in shame and everlasting contempt, that they just, they never quite fully gave themselves to the Lord. The psalm that ties with that is Psalm 16, which then is going into and talking about how we then should be continuing to trust God. There's certain things where they are beyond our control in understanding that God is trying to counsel us, trying to steer us, trying to work with us, and us then giving God the control to be able to do that and being able to rest in the joy that God then provides in that. The New Testament or second reading is coming from Hebrews chapter 10 verses 11 through 14, optionally 15 through 18, and then 19 through 25. This is kind of continuing a lot of these themes that we've had in Hebrews. This is the last week that we are in Hebrews, talking again about the sacrifices that Christ did for us so that we don't have to do that. The optional text I would kind of continue and keep in because that's where it gets into talking about how the Holy Spirit has been placed in us and that God has made a covenant with us and is trying to work with us because of this covenant. And then again, because of the blood of Jesus, that that is what is bringing us into this new life, that he is the new great high priest over what is going on. And we hold to the confession of hope that because of the hope that Christ gives us, this is what propels us and moves us forward. The gospel text this week is out of Mark chapter 13, verses 1 to 8. This is an interesting text, especially being that this is the last week that we are in Mark. But I think there's also, before we really dive into it, we need to do a little history lesson on Mark. 
Mark being the oldest gospel, Mark being written around the year 70, 60 to 70, and that there was a lot of turmoil going on in Jerusalem, that there is now the upheaval of the temple and the people are in this major unrest and what is God doing and what's going on. And one of the things I felt that was really interesting that Working Preacher brought up is that's a lot of where we're at right now with the church. This is a lot of what we've been kind of going through with this pandemic. How do we proceed forward? How do we move? Do we let go of things of the past? What things do we bring along with us? What is going on within the church? There's a lot of things here that are very relatable. So, Jesus is coming out of the temple. He has the disciples there, and one of them is explaining and just examining, wow, look at the temple. Look at these large stones. What large buildings? And Jesus then kind of humbles him right away, and there's going to be a time where no stone is going to be stacked on top of each other, won't be overturned, and will be thrown down. And so then later, Peter, James, John, and Andrew ask him privately, when are these things going to be accomplished? What are When's the timeline for this? And Jesus responds with, starting in verse 5, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. And that ends the text. So this text of kind of going through and don't necessarily spend your time trying to predict and trying to hold on to what's been going on in this moment. God's continuing to move. God's continuing to happen and realizing that God is still in control. It's not about what you are necessarily wanting in your control. It's one of these things where you have to be able to look beyond just yourself to see what is really going on. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plugs. Oh, Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis, and I've already referenced them in this podcast to help give me some direction on how to look and be able to interpret these texts. If you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend checking them out. But I'd also check out the library coming from vanderbilt.edu where their revised common lectionary i really enjoy being able to have all the text right here in front of me but one of the things i also really enjoy is that they have a whole section dedicated to how different artists and different people throughout the world throughout time have interpreted these texts and put it down in images and i think it's really fun to be able to look at that and be able to see that through multiple different sets of eyes so if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org or the revised common lectionary coming from the library at vanderbilt.edu i highly recommend checking out both of these resources in a way these are kind of interesting texts especially to wrap up this year of mark in a lot of ways but it's also recognizing what are these texts really getting at. And I would argue a lot of it is getting at, one, we're not in control. And two, to look beyond ourselves for help. If you look at what these texts are getting at, Mark 
And what Jesus is talking about is don't be necessarily glorifying the whole human experience and everything that humans have created because realizing that God is much greater than that and these things that you create can just as quickly pass away. Hebrews recognizing that through the Christ's blood that is the sanctification that the holy spirit coming and being within us is what is helping to steer us in the faith that this is not something that is purely done on our own this is something that god is working and communicating with us the psalm 16 recognizing that this is something that should be given praise that because of the Lord being in us, that this is something that then we need to also be thanking God and praying about making sure that we're not just getting moved any which way, that we're trying to stay in this council, but realizing that we are trying to follow something that is way beyond what we can do. Talking in Daniel, the archangel, and looking at the resurrection, which is way beyond what we can do, the second coming and what that's going to look like and realizing that this is beyond our control. And the whole First Samuel, two sections from First Samuel, it's God who then is hearing the cries of Hannah and is giving the child to Hannah, which ends up being this amazing child that they utilize and God utilizes to help further and continue the narrative throughout the Old Testament, but also that then when that happens, recognize that God was in this and giving praise to God for that. It means that we have to be open-minded in that we can't be narrowly focused just purely on human things, that we have to have our eyes open enough to be able to see what God is trying to steer, what God is trying to do. And that sometimes is something that's difficult for us to do. We like getting narrowly focused on things, and thus it allows us to miss other details of things that are going on around us. I'm going to attach a link down below along with a lot of other resources, but the cost of saving a drowning city from SciShow I think is really good because it covers, I feel, like a couple different issues here. And so, one, it kind of goes into how with our changing climate, what is that actually going to mean for us financially and with people? Because we have people that live in areas that then are going to potentially be of issue of going underwater as the amount of water then from glaciers melting, causing oceans to rise. And so... In the frontiers in climate, they looked at one of these small cities called Tangier Island, which is in the Chesapeake Bay in Virginia. It's a small island. It's not very big. It's a fishing community for the most part. There's about 400 homes there, and the estimated cost to be able to save this island and the one remaining fishing community left in the state of Virginia, they are estimating to be a quarter of a billion dollars. And they pose it that there is two potential options of what you could do here. You either could look at the high points of the land, there's a couple ridges where these houses are, and decide to shore up the shorelines and put down sand to be able to help give the land some more structure. And then you have to jack up all the houses to be able to lay the sand down underneath to be able to raise them up. And so that you would be able to kind of sustain this community. 
Or you could look at giving them money to help them be able to relocate because on their own, this community does not generate enough to be able to save the island. And thus, you are also looking at a community that's a little bit of a lower economic scale, which a major part of the world and where these coastal cities are and where people are, that this is going to be a continued need that's going to be coming up. And it's a good section of these are lower income people. So you have then on top of that, part of why they looked at Tangier Island is that at this point, it's the water rise is at a centimeter per two years that it's rising up. And because of the salt in the ocean, you can't put trees because it's too salty for the trees to be able to survive. So it's an interesting small case study on how things and how climate could be affecting communities like this. And so then it gets into the cost of doing nothing is a cost. And so then what are we doing? Are we going to actually just stick our heads in the sand and ignore the issue that's going on? Or are we going to look further into it? And this is something that worldwide we're going to have to work on. And 2019 study estimated that 230 million people live in lands that are within a meter above sea level, which is all areas that they think have the potential over the next 30 years or so potentially to be underwater. So where are these people going to go? Where's the infrastructure going to be to be able to provide support for these movements of people along with the effects that that's going to have on the ecosystem beyond that. So even if we just are narrowly focusing on people, are we going to sit and ignore because this isn't something that, especially me being in the Midwest and where I'm located, this is not going to affect me directly, but there's plenty of people that I know, or there's plenty of different ecological things and different things that I take advantage of because of the different people on the coast that suddenly now that wouldn't be available to me. So now this does affect me more in an indirect way. So how are we going to be able to look at that and start calculating how this is going to work? One of the other things that I think does provide some hope is looking at something way beyond the human construction, and that is looking at the saber-toothed cat from the Ice Age, Smilodon. And when we think about these saber-toothed cats, we think of that they were pretty much loners. They were kind of the apex predators. They were taking control of what was going on around them. And it's hard to be able to study the behavior of a animal that is extinct and doesn't have any living relatives. But there has been a recent hypothesis by re-examining some bones found in the Labara tar pits. Now, the Labara tar pits are in Los Angeles, California, of all places. It's an area that naturally thin, low-grade asphalt is bubbling up to the surface. And this is something that's been going on for an extended period of time. I'll attach some links down below on kind of how the geology happens, but the rough summary that 
there would have been land and you had it would have been underwater had plankton die continuing to make essentially slowly an oily mix underneath the topsoil and then with having the amount of fault lines that they have there that it potentially opened up some cracks so that the oil could get to the surface and thus getting this kind of asphalty low liquidy type of tar pit and what they found there which is super interesting is a lot of animals throughout history because this has been there for an extended period of time going back to saber-toothed cats and mammoths to people to domesticated dogs to dire wolves have been in there. So you have a lot of paleontologists kind of uncovering this, taking airplane degreaser to be able to clean these bones and figuring out what was there and be able to look at these different things. So one of the recent ones has been, they were re-examining some saber-toothed cat, Smilodon bones, and looking at the pelvis and realizing on these bones that were excavated a hundred years ago that this individual had a very typical cat and dog problem in its hip dysplasia, aka where the hip socket doesn't fully form, thus making it prone to the hip coming dislocated or coming out of socket and so thus making it very difficult for this animal to hunt to be able to work and be on its own being this lone top predator what they are now hypothesizing because of this discovery is this animal is an adult based on the size and based on just how it looks this is an adult animal so there must have been at least the behavior of that there was other cats and stuff taking care of this individual. Even though that it had this hip dysplasia, there was must have been that they were working together. So thus, that it wasn't necessarily this lone saber-toothed cat, that maybe they were in some type of communication together to be able to support an individual like this to be able to get to adulthood is the hypothesis. Again, I'll attach some links down below. But I think that works really well. I think one of the things as humans that we wrestle with a lot is that we really struggle to be able to see beyond our experience. We struggle to be able to see beyond ourselves and it's something that we try working on, but then I would say we even struggle to see beyond the human experience for sure. And that's where looking at something like a saber-toothed cat and that they were able to care at least for other individuals that were born with different defects that made it difficult for them to survive, to be able to support each other, to be able to get an animal like that to adulthood is huge. And so when we take a look then at the issues that we're running into that over 200 million people live within a meter of the coast of being potentially underwater semi soon because of what we're doing to the climate, it does cause us to start to have to stop and think about what are we going to do? What are the things that we can potentially do to help each other? to look beyond what is necessarily going on, realizing that in this, there is going to have to be things of God taking control beyond what we can do. But that also means that doesn't mean stop and just let God take care of it. It means that we still need to work toward that for God to be able to come in and help us. Look at Hannah 
in the alternative Old Testament text. Hannah goes and prays and is praying. And then when God blesses her with a son, she then goes and thanks God for what goes on. When I hear in contrast, when the disciple in the beginning of chapter 13 is bringing up to Jesus, look at this temple, look at these rocks, look at how great we have made things. Jesus is like, yeah, but this is of human construction. This isn't of God construction. God helped in this, but don't glorify the building, glorify God. Glorify what God is going to do. We as people right now, when we're looking at the potential impact of what climate is going to have on people, we can do things to try to help. And we can do things to limit our impact. But there's also a point where God will have to step into. And that if we are able to do that, and if we are able to take those steps forward, I do believe God will show up. And in that moment, then we need to be able to stop and give God the glory and not just purely give ourselves the glory for what we did. Being able to recognize that God is instilling within us the spirit to be able to look beyond ourselves, to realize that this is something of concern, that this is something that we should be addressing. This would be something that we are looking at. And now when we're looking at it, that there are other animals that naturally are already doing this. We then are the ones who are wrestling with how we were designed to care for others. We have to be able to look beyond ourselves. We have to be able to look and be able to see others. Because when that happens, it allows us to be able to see the fingerprints of God being out and amongst others. Out and amongst the world beyond ourselves. And this is something I feel that we really struggle with. So the Twitter question I have for you this week is, where have you seen the fingerprints of God outside yourself recently? Where have you seen the fingerprints of God outside yourself recently? We like being able to see how God is blessing us. We like to be able to see within our friends and different things, but even let's get beyond those. Let's see how we can start seeing how God is working in others way beyond us. To be able to start seeing that this is part of a bigger family that we are a part of. So that there is that spirit within us gets the heartstrings pulled more. At least here in the States where things have become more and more divisive. I think this is part of the healing that needs to happen. So that we can actually together move forward. Together learn from each other. Together be able to grow and actually move mountains. Actually move much bigger problems. But it means that we have to be able to see God within each other. We need to be able to see beyond disagreements. We need to be able to see the bigger problems together and be able to say, how are we going to address them together instead of apart? So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science. <laughs>